Well, hey, for the next three weeks, we are going to be talking about the things that really matter. I'm Pastor Tim, and really glad that you're here as we launch this new series into the new year and into the new decade. Uh, before we get to that, just one thing, I've got to give a shout out to every one of you uh, who made the Christmas Eve services so spectacular. It was a truly a team effort and deserves a hand of applause from everyone that attended. Uh, thank you so much uh, for all that you did. Uh, it truly was remarkable from the camels to the cookies to the glow sticks. Uh, and so as always, we ask the question, what's next? I mean, that was a spectacular event. But I'm really excited about what God has in store for Grace Fellowship in the next year and what God has in store for you, uh, what, uh, what he's created you for and what he has purpose for you in the next year. And so that's why we're talking about uh, what really matters, what, uh, what is the most important, what matters most in your life. So if you have a device and want to bring that up uh, or grab your uh, grace journal, we're going to be looking at three major passages this morning before we get into the outline. We have this journal at Connection Point. In three weeks, we are going to start a journey through the book of James. And so this has been a great tool to take notes in. Uh, if you want to do that, uh, those are at Connection Point. Um, but here's where we're going in this series, and we'll put it on the screen. Life with Jesus in community for the world. Life with Jesus in community for the world. What matters most, my friends, is Jesus. And I can't think of a better prayer, I can't think of a better uh, desire for you uh, than to launch into this next year and this next day, uh, decade with a deeper relationship and walk uh, with your creator and redeemer. Uh, and uh, this morning we are talking about this first line, life with Jesus. We're going to start in John chapter 1. It says the next day John, John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he, set, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So they left uh, John the Baptist, their rabbi, and they started following a new rabbi, Jesus. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you, some of you have asked that question and not really wanted to know what they want, but uh, what do you want? What, 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 do you, what do you want? What do, say with me, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? We, uh, most of us know that Jesus was a master storyteller by the, pro, uh, the parables that we read in this, but you might not realize that Jesus was very strategic in the way that he asked questions. A lot of people came to Jesus for answers, and instead of giving them an answer, he posed a question. Over 300 questions uh, are recorded in the Gospels, and this particular question, what do you want, Jesus posed over 10 times. This was one of his most favorite questions. Uh, what do you want? Now, many of you in this room uh, know that um, I'm, I'm a runner. Uh, I've run countless 5Ks, over a dozen half marathons, a couple of marathons. I run uh, basically for three things, sanity, because I need the endorphins, uh, two, chocolate, uh, because I run to eat, I do not eat to run. Uh, and then uh, I've adopted over the last couple of years running with World Vision for clean water and child sponsorships. That's really what has been motivating me the last couple of years to run. And in all actuality, when I think about this, I'm not sure that I could actually call myself a runner. I run. Uh, not so sure that I'm a runner. And this is made clear to me every time I run one of these races, when I run with other 
runners. Uh, again, um, uh, Grace Fellowship has been running with World Vision for the last uh, several years, and uh, every year in November, we run the Indianapolis Monumental Half and Full Marathon. Uh, and so in that race, whether you're running the half or the full, everyone starts at the same spot. We all start together. And about mile seven, uh, the half marathon splits off from the full marathon runners. Uh, they take their different course, and then we meet back up with about three miles left to go, and we all finish, we all cross the finish line together. Now, this particular year, and I'm a guy that hates the cold, and it was 28, 27, 28 degrees when the race started, and it warmed up quickly to 32 when the race was over. Uh, and so I am all layered up. I've got the sweatshirt on and the earmuffs and the gloves. I'm like climbing Kilimanjaro, but I know that's coming later. So I, we, if you're familiar with this, you're, you know, we, we all join up on Meridian Street and we're headed downtown, back, back downtown. My head is down. My shoulders are drooping. My, I'm gasping for air. The wind is in, the, in my face, slowing me down even further. I'm questioning, I'm actually, I'm, I'm questioning the reality of God's love in my life. Uh, and so we're, we're doing this. And to my right, um, there's another lane that's kind of roped off and guarded off so the common runners don't get in their way, uh, are all the marathon runners uh, in their tight, short shorts and skimpy tank tops. And I'm here with this, you know, sweatshirt. I look like someone from the hood. I don't, you know, it's just, it's terrible. And having run, and it, at this point, friends, they have, they have run 13 miles longer than I have run. And they are whizzing by me like they're escaping a house fire. I don't, you know, it, and here's, here's the thing. Uh, I mean, I can't run one six-minute mile. Just one, I can't. And they have just done that consistently for 26 miles. It is, it is both discouraging and inspiring uh, to me. The thing is, they, they make it look so effortless. It's like an art form. I mean, their, their posture and their gait, I mean, it's poetic to look at, like deer prancing through the field, just asking to be shot. <laughs> and fortunately for them, I am not armed at this moment. You know, so um, that's when I realize I run, I am not a runner. I, I, I like the idea of running. I am a fan of running, but I am not a runner. Uh, what's my point? Do I have a point? I have a point. Uh, hold on just one more second. Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers, talks about the 10,000-hour rule, making an argument that no one does anything of excellence and perfection without 10,000 hours of practice, hard work, discipline, to achieve that to which you aspire requires 10,000 hours. Friends, on average, that's, that's just about 10 hours a week for 20 years. Or 20 hours a week for 10 years. Uh, and, you know, at one point in my life, years ago, I aspired to be a runner. I liked the idea of running. But, but in the world of runners, seriously, I'm just a fast jogger. Okay, so do I have what it takes to be a runner? I'm not, I, I'm not actually sure because I've never, wanted, I've never wanted it badly enough to find out, to be honest with you. When I look at the lifestyle required of runners, I'm a fan of running. I'm not a follower of, of running. I've never wanted it bad enough uh, to be. I'm not willing to pay the price required 
uh, of runners. Uh, running, uh, running is compelling, um, but not enough for me to adopt you know, the, the exercise, the, the diet, the every day getting out of bed early in the morning and running and running and running, the hard work, the exercise, everything that goes into being classified as a runner. I, I, I can tell anybody who will listen that I'm a runner. But when you examine the priorities of my life, uh, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I, I'm a fan, but I'm not a follower. Okay, so you see where I'm going with this. I believe Jesus is the most compelling person in, in the history of mankind. I believe he has a message far greater than any other message that we've heard from anybody. I believe Jesus is the most compelling. And he poses this question to us about following him, not being a fan of him, but actually being a follower of him. Do you want this? Do you really want this? He might be compelling to you. But is he compelling enough for you to want what it takes to follow him? Friends, you can tell anyone who will listen to you that you are a Christian. And this is why I don't use that term Christian very often because Christians, uh, the term Christian has been watered down so much in our, in our culture, in our society. Uh, Christianity, being a Christian, really has a lot to do about knowing the right things and believing the right things, and that's fine and necessary. Uh, it's essential, but it is not enough, friends. Following requires lifestyle. In the, in the words of John Mark Comer, says, following requires being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus does. It's a whole life. It's a whole life with Jesus. Okay, so friends, back to John chapter 1. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist, and John points out to his disciples, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pretty compelling, don't you think? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it is so compelling to them that they leave John the Baptist and they pursue Jesus. And so Jesus turns around, sees them following, and the first thing out of his mouth is, what do you want? What do you want? What, what do you want? Now, those of us who are familiar with the gospel might question, you know, Jesus, Jesus, why are you asking this question? I mean, you came to give us what we need, not what we want. But Jesus realizes, regardless of what you need, if you don't want it, you're not going to go out. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. At the core of who you are is what you want. Jesus came to give us eternal life when we die. But he also, John 10.10 is talking about giving us abundant life here on earth while we live. Here's the thing. Abundant life, all the things that you ultimately want in life. Friends, every human being wants the same thing. They want their life to matter. They want to matter in life. And Jesus, we want the fulfillment of life. We want the peace and the joy of life. And not just, uh, Jesus provides this. But this is also something that you must pursue. I'm not talking about eternal life. Jesus thought you were compelling enough to pursue. That's why he died on the cross for you, to give you eternal life. But abundant life, the life worth living now, is something that you must follow. Is Jesus compelling enough to pursue the abundant life that Jesus offers? This is why Jesus in the Gospels talked about things like taking up your cross and selling your possessions and forsaking all others and some really, really costly stuff. Why? Because that's how you get abundant life. That's where abundant life comes from. Get, and get this, Jesus will never withhold this from you. He will never keep this from you. He just knows that if you don't want it, you will never take hold of it. 
It's, it's, about, it's about you. It's, a, it's about what you want. You read the Gospels, friends, and there's a lot of would-be followers who came to Jesus, and Jesus didn't reject any of them. He offered life to all of them. But some of them walked away because, well, bottom line, they just didn't want it. They wanted other things. They wanted different things. They wanted both kingdoms. What do you want? We want a lot of stuff. We want, we want a good life. We want to feel good about life. Uh, in our most serious moments, we want our lives to count. We want our lives to matter. We want to matter in life. And I believe that's why these two men approached Jesus. They sensed in Jesus the offer of life, not just eternal life, but abundant life. He goes on, verse, it goes on in verse 38. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said, come. This is the open invitation of Jesus. Come and see. Come. Come with me. Spend the day with me. In fact, in invest your life with me. Come with me. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. With him. Everyone say with him. With him. Friends, the life Jesus offers is a life with him. In Mark chapter 3, when he records the list of the original 12 disciples, he outlined their primary purpose in, in following Jesus, and that was just to be with him. With him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to live a life with Jesus. Uh, this is what we would call discipleship. And I'll put on the screen how basically this works. To bear the fruit of Jesus, the life of Jesus, you must experience the life of Jesus by adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus says. And it changes everything, friends, when you realize that the most important thing Jesus calls you to is simply to be with him. A pursuit of the abundant life is a life with Jesus. Now, of course... We want to know what that looks like. What, what does this with Jesus? We want abundant life. We want our lives to matter. Uh, and Jesus says, uh, you want, Jesus said it in this way. You want your lives to bear fruit. You want your life to be fruitful. That's the analogy that Jesus uses. The with Jesus life is a life of fruit bearing, of abundance. We want our lives to produce something of significance. We want our lives to matter. We want to matter in life. And Jesus calls that fruit, which leads us to the next passage in John chapter 15. Jesus says this to us, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you what? Abide. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever what? Abides in me and I in him. Catch a, you know, catch a trend here. Uh, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In the larger context of this passage, Jesus actually uses this word abide Ten times. I think he's trying to make a point. You cannot find the life that you're looking for apart from Jesus, okay? So three things about this particular passage. One, Jesus is making the assumption that we want to bear fruit in our lives, that we want our lives to matter. I think that's basically true of every human being or most human beings. Jesus in John 15 is actually talking uh, directly to his 12 disciples who have been following, already following him for about three years. And so they, they want to bear fruit. They want this life that Jesus offers. And so he assumes that about us. Uh, we claim to follow him. We must want to bear fruit at some level in our lives anyway. He makes that assumption. But then he makes the assertion 
That is not possible without me. You cannot bear fruit apart from me. You cannot have the abundant life that you're looking for. It is impossible for you to experience this kind of life because I, without me because I am the source of that life. I am the vine that supplies life to your life. And so uh, he makes that assertion, and then he sets the condition. How are you going to have that life? And he just simply uses this one word. You have one job, and it is to abide. Abide. Jesus in this chapter says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Your job, in order to you, for you to have abundant life, your job is to abide in the vine. And if you abide in the vine, your life will be fruitful. It will be full of life. Now, we live in a community that understands that kind of an analogy, right? We live in an agrarian community. And so we understand that you cut yourself off from the supply of life. You destroy the potential of life uh, for you. Jesus says, my job is to supply life that will bear fr the fruit of life. Your job is to abide in the vine, to embed your life into the life of the, of the vine. The with Jesus life is a life buried in the fruit-producing vine, which is Jesus. So that leads us to the next question. What does this fruit look like? And to that, we have to go to Galatians chapter 5. What is the fruit Jesus is talking about that is born in your life? Uh, he says, the Apostle Paul says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Now, he's, he's talking about what do you want, okay? The flesh is our human nature to do what we want. And it gets us in trouble all the time because what we want, he's saying here, is, is in conflict with what God wants for us. Okay, so for, uh, verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. What we want and what God wants for us often butts heads so, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then in the next verse, verse 19, he talks about how we mess up our lives because we just do what we want. Friends, the Bible calls that sin. And sin breaks things. Sin cuts us off from the supply of life. We end up in places we didn't want to go. We end up with a life of unfruitfulness, of barrenness. We rob ourselves of the life that we really we really want, okay? And so we end up, we're a fan of the fruit. We like the idea of the fruit, but we don't always want to adopt the lifestyle required to bear the fruit or to have the fruit born. So Paul, he's taking a page out of the playbook of Jesus here. He's stealing uh, the vine analogy here and explaining to us how this works. When you abide in the vine, you bear the fruit you bear the fruit, and he goes on, verse 22, what is that fruit? Well, it's not a bunch of things. It's actually one thing, friends. The fruit is Jesus. The fruit that's born out in your life is the life, the character, the nature of Jesus, which is love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong, those who belong, those who abide in Jesus, have crucified the, the flesh. It's no longer what we want, but we want Jesus with its passions and desires. That's a lifestyle, friends. Since we live by the Spirit, that's a lifestyle. Let us keep in step, that's a lifestyle, with the Spirit. Now, here's the problem that many of us have with Galatians chapter 5. Those of us who are familiar with this, we tend to look at the fruit of the Spirit as a list of things we need to be doing. 
like a list of commands. I want the abundant life, so I've got to be more loving. I stink at self-control. I've really got to work on that. If I want to be with Jesus, I've got, to, I've got to be more patient. I've got to be more faithful, which is the exact opposite, friends, of what Paul is actually saying to us here. These are not the conditions of the with Jesus life. You're not doing these things so you, you can be with Jesus. These are the implications of a with Jesus life. When you are with Jesus, this is what happens to you. This is, this is, this is not a command passage. This is an abide passage. For instance, what, what I mean, you cannot command me to love you. You're, if I don't want to love you, I'm not going to love you. Okay? I can do loving things to you or for you. But friends, as a matter of the heart, if the inner disposition of my heart is not transformed by the love of Jesus, I can act more loving, but I cannot be more loving. This is about the inner character of your spirit, keeping in step with the spirit of God. Now, uh, that kind of, that kind of uh, life, trying to go through this as a list of commands, actually works against itself because life comes from the inner quality of the spirit led by Jesus, not the outward performance of someone going through the list or trying to check off all the motions. Listen, friends, all of us have a certain amount of willpower to do love to make peace happen, to be patient, all of this list. But friends, willpower eventually flames out. We don't have enough self-effort to keep us going. And all of that kind of stuff just, just wears us out. But just what if, what if you just spent your life with Jesus, the very epitome of love? What, what if you lived with Jesus, who, is not, who doesn't do joy, he is joy. He doesn't do peace, he is peace. He is the fruit that is born out into our life when we just abide in the vine. Jesus says, he says it this way, abide in the vine. Paul says it this way, keep in step with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. What do you want? What, what, what do you want? Well, some of you want to get to the outline because I've been talking for a very long time and you can't, can't be a Jesus follower without filling in the blanks, right? Okay, so... Uh, let me say again before we get to the blanks, if you want the life of Jesus, you've got to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So what does it look like in daily practical uh, experience uh, to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, to be plugged into the vine? Let me suggest a couple of characteristics of the, of the with Jesus life. Number one, life with Jesus is in constant awareness of Jesus. You live your life in constant awareness of Jesus. Question, have you ever been in a room where you have been completely ignored? We've all done it. We've all been so preoccupied that we've not given notice to other people in the room. Here, Ten times in John 15, Jesus uses the word abide, which means remain, which means stay which means be, as if he were saying, never forget that I am with you. Never forget that you have total, constant, 24-7 access to me. He's not, he's not, being, he's not talking about being secluded in a, in a monastery. He's talking about your every day, in all the routine, in all the moments of your life, whatever it is you are doing, constantly aware that he is there, he's with you, he's for you. He's, he's designed to supply the life that you want in you. In every step, in every moment, in every experience of your life, 
He wants to produce in you love and joy and peace regardless of what you're dealing with, regardless of what you're facing, regardless of the, of the condition or the environment of your life. You can be producing the life of Jesus in you because you're abiding. You're constantly aware of him in your life. That's number one. Number two, the life with Jesus pursues consistent rhythms with Jesus or of Jesus. Number two is very practical. It'll help you actually do number one, staying in tune with Jesus. Pursuing consistent rhythms, some would call this spiritual disciplines, but we don't like the word discipline. Discipline is the reason why I run, but I'm not a runner, okay? So uh, others would call this uh, spiritual habits. That might be a better term because all of us have habits, right? Some of them are good habits. Some of them are bad habits. We have habits that we need to adopt. We have habits that we need to, get, we need to change. We have a routine to our lives, uh, things that we do almost every day as, as a... a a nature of routine that seldom varies from day to day. We just, we just build rhythms into how we operate through life. And so with the, the with Jesus life is knowing how to build the rhythms into your life that include Jesus, that cause you to be aware of Jesus, that set the conditions and the environment for Jesus to produce the life of Jesus in you. And the Bible talks ab uh, about prayer. We don't have time to talk about these disciplines. Uh, prayer, uh, Bible reading, uh, giving, fasting, serving, celebrating, resting, silence and solitude, all different kinds of activities that help you build into your life a rhythm that makes it conditional, can makes, it, makes it environmental uh, for the awareness of Jesus and the presence and the power of Jesus to operate and bear fruit, the, the fruit of Jesus in your life. Here's what you need to know. There's no official list in the Bible of spiritual habits. The Bible doesn't give us one. I, we're not quite sure why. It could be because spiritual development looks differently for all of us. And so one spiritual discipline may be more effective than it is for me. I think more importantly because uh, God doesn't want us to take these, these habits and use them like a legalistic list as if we just need to check off a box and we're good with God. That's not what spiritual habits are about. Here's what spiritual habits are about. I'll put it on the screen. To bear the fruit of Jesus, you must experience the life of Jesus by adopting the lifestyle. There's lifestyle again. The lifestyle. Jesus had spiritual habits. Did you know that? Jesus had a routine of prayer in his life. If he thought that was important, how much more should we have a routine of silence and solitude? Jesus regularly got off by himself he and just God, to be more fully aware and present with his Father, for God to be more present with him. He served, he celebrated, he rested. Spiritual habits creating an environment of being with Jesus in order to become like Jesus by doing the things Jesus did. So here's where we stop, and we have a 15-minute commercial break. Because what I'm talking about right now is something that we've been talking about for a month now, and in two weeks, we launch what is called Rooted. If this is a small group experience that will help you build into your life the rhythms that I have just mentioned. If you want to pursue the life of Jesus, I can't think of a better opportunity for you uh, to get into the routine and the rhythm uh, that Rooted provides. Now, we have, we have filled up every group that we've created for Rooted. 
uh, but we are not turning back anybody. If you want to be a part of this, we will create more groups. So you have your connection card or you can go to Connection Point and you can, you can say, you know, I, I, want to pursue G I want to pursue the life with Jesus. And Rooted will be a catalyst uh, to that development in your life. Commercial over. Let's go to point three. The life with Jesus enjoys continual relationship. The with Jesus life enjoys continual relationship with Jesus. Friends, that is the key to abundant living. Life is found in Jesus. And Jesus in you produces life. John 15, 9 says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. There's that word again. Abide, rest, stay, remain in my love. Now look at that verse and think about how awesome that statement is. The love, the love the Father has for Jesus is the love Jesus has for you. Which is to say, and this takes us back to the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's Jesus. It's Jesus living his life through you. So what, so what does that mean? Well, let me ask, let me ask you a question. Um, do, you, do any of you have someone in your life who's difficult to love? Don't look at them. Right. Actually, you can just go home and look at the mirror. You want to find a real difficult person to love. Here's, here's the thing, and I've said this before. Um, people, only people who are loved know how to love. People who have not been loved well find it difficult to love well. And so you experience that difficulty either in another person's life or within yourself. And you just have to think about, you know, the answer to your love problem is not the willpower and the self-effort to do loving things to people. Your ability to love is directly related to your ability to comprehend and your willingness to abide in the love Jesus has for you. The way the Father loves the Son is the way the Son loves you. Do you understand that? And are you able, are you willing to rest in that? People who have been loved well tend to love well. And everyone in this room needs to know, you have been loved well. You have been loved well. Friends, the cross has proven that. And so uh, rest, abide, remain, stay, live in the love Jesus has for you. And watch the fruit of Jesus overflow in your life. How are you going to make that happen? To bear the fruit of Jesus, you must experience the life of Jesus by adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. Do you, what, do you want this? What, what do you want? Are you willing to pursue it? Are you willing to pay the price that a with Jesus life requires? Where do we start? Let me give you three final things real quickly. Surrender. Uh, John says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, he's talking about surrender here, friends. He's talking about dying to your wants and wanting Jesus. And when you want Jesus, you will bear much fruit. Stop trying to produce the life you want through willpower and self-effort and rest in the love Jesus has for you. Surrender. Here's the second one. Submit. He Hebrews chapter 12. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, 
up and let us run. What do you want? Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Hebrews 12 mentions the two greatest enemies of our abiding in Jesus, weights and sin. Sins, we understand, those are bad things. They are not good things. But weights are good things. They're just not the best things. For some of you, you, you don't, you're not in a lifestyle of sin that's, that's barring you from the presence of Jesus. Some of you are just distracted. Some of you are just, you, you've just got, kind of got a divided mind. I mean, you want this, but you kind of want something else too. And Jesus made this clear. You can't love two masters. You, uh, I, I remember someone saying to me a long time ago, hell on earth is planting each foot in a different kingdom. And I, I just can't help but think that a lot of the frustration that we experience in our Christian, in our following Jesus, is that we just, we want both. And we're not happy with either. You've got to surrender, you've got to submit, and then you've got to saturate. First John 2 says, let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. There's that word again, abide in you. An all-consuming, uncompromising pursuit that will not tolerate competing love. You've got to saturate yourself with the presence of Jesus. Friends, there's nothing more that Jesus wants for you than a life of abundance, a rich, full, productive life of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of the things that you ultimately want, that you want. Jesus is calling us. He's inviting us to abide with him. Now, before we close, we're just about ready for communion, but I, I, I want to say one last thing about this word abide. Friends, abide is a very slow word. It is a slow word. Some of us have been on this journey for a very long time, and at points we get very discouraged by the lack of progress we think we should have been making. And that's usually because we're not totally abiding. We're trying to produce the fruit on our, on our own, friends. Abide is a very slow word. Every farmer knows that you cannot force the fruit. You can set the conditions. You can create the environment. And that's what Jesus is telling us this morning. You can abide, but you can't rush it. Friends, the truth is, it takes just about as much time to produce a fruit today as it did when Jesus walked the earth. Okay, so that's not your job to make the fruit happen. Your job is to be with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. Do you want it? If you have questions about that this morning, I would love to talk to you about what your next step in this faith journey might be for you. If you want to commit your life to Christ or if you just have a need for prayer, I'll be at the front of the stage this morning after the service. I would love uh, to meet with you and help you in this, this issue of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus does. I would love to meet with you. Uh, let me uh, share this verse as we prepare our hearts for, for communion. First John chapter 5 says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. This life is in his son. Where's, where's life? In his son. In his son. And then he says this, whoever has the son has life. Whoever has the son has life. The question is, does the Son have your life? Jesus died on the cross, not only to give you life, but to be your life. So think about that as we celebrate 
the Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for who you are and what you've done in our lives and for what you've promised. So we come to you in this time of communion as we have the opportunity to reflect, to thank you for who you are and what you've done, but also to think about our lives and our lives with you. Father, give us the heart, give us the desire. Make that what we want. We are so grateful that you love us. Help us to comprehend that love and to abide in that love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.